Welcome to Full Bloom, the podcast for millennials on a journey to finding purpose and pursuing passion. My name is Martina Lindo, and I believe we can learn from each other's experiences and hopefully help each other to bloom and grow into the people we were always meant to be. Your journey to full bloom starts right now. All right, guys, I'm so excited today to have with me Mr. Jason Reynolds. Uh, He is a sound engineer, and I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So my sister-in-law actually connected us through her knowledge of him and all the fun stuff that he's doing out in the world. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the people? Yeah. So um, like you said, my name is Jason Reynolds, Mr. If you didn't say my first name, I think you're talking about my dad, (laughs) Mr. Reynolds. It's like he's not here right now. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I'm Jason Reynolds. Most people know me as Reds. Um, That's my nickname. Um, I'm an audio engineer, tour manager, production manager. Um, I do a whole bunch of different things. I work for a company here locally in Toronto, Canada called Production Service Industries. Um, I'm their head of head of touring as well as their head of installs, um, retail and install. Mm. Um, So I kind of that's my day job when I'm home. When I'm out on the road, I'm a tour manager and front of house engineer for the band Magic. That's the band that sings the song Rude. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm also production manager and monitor engineer for Shaggy. Most people know him for his song, It Wasn't Me. And I'm also, on the yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then I'm the monitor engineer for the Marley Brothers. So I used to, I began working with Stephen Marley and then I moved on to doing monitors for when the Marley Brothers performed together. Wow, that's a really impressive list of things that you do. That's that's what I do currently. There's some other stuff that I've done in the past. but Well, that's really, really exciting. OK, so I have several questions that we're going to talk about in terms of the before the Jason I'm talking to now. Mm-hmm. So first things first, my husband and, you know, if you guys haven't realized he's Jamaican. Hey, shout out to my yeah, people. Yeah. Um, so. My husband has this nickname. They call him Platts, right? Right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna explain the nickname. I think it's really stupid. But uh-huh. I want to know how did you get your nickname Reds? So when I was younger, um, they used to call me Pinky because <laughs> because if I stay out in the sun too long, I I burn, mm-hmm. and so I get really pink. Um, but as I got older, one of my friends was like, yo, we can't call you Pinky anymore because you've grown up. So like Reds is the grown up nickname. <laughs> That's actually very functional of them, though. That was smart. It was good because I couldn't I honestly couldn't live with Pinky for the rest I of my know. life. Oh, God. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So how did you find yourself in this musical space? Um, so I learned to do sound in church. Um, I used to go to a church in Jamaica called Pentecostal Tabernacle. Um, hey, shout out to Pastor Bartlett. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there I I started to volunteer as part of the um, sound team there. I learned pretty much everything I know from Paul Price, um, who was the head of sound there. He used to mix on Sundays for the most part. And kind of as I was learning from him, um, I took an interest in music. Um, At the time, too, my 
I, I call him my uncle, but he's really my cousin. He's, he's my mother's first cousin. Um, mm-hmm. Used to run an event management company in Jamaica that used to manage a lot of concerts and stuff. So I started working with him as what we call a backline tech, which means I used to go and like set up instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, Really, just so I could get into concerts for free, to be honest. Like, I, I just <laughs> That's thought, though. yeah, I was like, this is great. I, I saw all these concerts and they were expensive back in the day. Well, expensive for a teenager anyway, because I didn't yeah. really have a lot of money. And um, so I was like, man, if I work. Yeah. So I, I started to work with my um, my uncle, Uncle Philip. Um, like I said, because I I just really wanted to get into concerts for free. And I mean, at that time. At that time in Jamaica, so we're talking now, I was probably somewhere between 16 and 18. So this is around 98, between 98 and 2002, that time period. A lot of people were coming to Jamaica to do concerts and he was running a lot of the big shows there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, and, and then kind of just getting into seeing, seeing the production side, I fell in love with, with working behind the scenes, kind of the, the feeling I get when I get a, put a show together is, is what appealed to it. It appealed to me more than being on stage, being an artist. So, um, yeah, I fell in love with it and I never really, I wasn't really sure if it could ever be a, a career, so to speak, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I knew it's something I would always be doing or being involved with. And then um, when I moved to Canada in 2004, um, I decided to, long story short, pursue it as a career, much to the behest of my parents, who are I, I very traditional. I was literally <laughs> just about to ask you about that, because yeah. knowing what I know about our culture, right. I know that that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I, so I, I started going to school um, when we moved here in 2004. I started going to university for for commerce, mm-hmm. um, which even then was like my mom. My mom probably thinks I'm wasting my talent. And I, I was pretty good in school. So yeah. um, in a wide range of things, like I was good with economics, I was good with somewhat good with math and science. But um, my mom used to always tell me I should probably be a lawyer because I, I can... I have the gift of gab. Um, right. That, that's literally what every Jamaican parent says. Yeah, no. They talk too much. <laughs> right. I heard that my whole life growing up. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she wasn't like super happy when I when I decided I wanted, wanted to go into music. Mm-hmm. Um, but but she she gave it a shot. I mean, she was the reason why I was able to to even get a student loan to go to school because she kind of co-signed for me and yeah. um, made it happen for me. So, yeah, she took a chance on it. And, I mean, she wasn't really happy about it at, at first, but it, it kind of worked out a long time after. I was going to say it definitely worked out. It definitely <laughs> worked out. So what for you was that thing that made you know that this is what you wanted to do? I don't know if it's any one thing. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's like a number of things in different areas. Um, so growing up in the early days of growing up, so like I'm talking like my early life, I yeah. I wasn't really we were never allowed to listen to reggae music in the house. Um, like my mom, my mom got saved when I was one um, yeah. and she tells the story. And so she was like, it was only Christian music in our house. And my dad wasn't. My dad has never been a church guy. Yeah. Um, but 
but he never played his music in the house. Like it was literally only ever Christian music. So like back then it was, so my mom got saved watching, watching Andre Crouch on TV. So like, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which I don't detest because when you talk about legends of gospel music, Andre Crouch is like at oh, the top yeah. of that list, you know? So growing up, that's all I listened to. But then when I was leaving prep school to go to high school. i never forget this. A friend of mine, Alexis Goff, introduced me to Bujabantan, right? Oh, wow. And it was his CD. Okay, and for the listeners who don't know, just tell them who Bujabantan is. Buju is... One is an unmistakable voice in reggae music. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the greatest to ever do it, in my opinion. But um, so I never really like you knew who Bob Marley was because he yeah. you were in Jamaica, right? But but he gave he loaned me a CD, um, Buju's album Till Shiloh, and I actually talked about it on my live broadcast today. Um, there's a song that starts that 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 record. Strange this feeling I'm feeling. Angel love we will always believe in. Though they may think my fate is in vain. Till Shiloh which and Rastafari's name. And I was like, as I I was like, yo, his voice. I was like, what is this? What is this? What is this music? Right? It's like the angels singing from above. It, it was like I never heard anything like that because all the voices that you heard in gospel music, gospel music was so polished, if you will, right? Yeah. And then you just heard this rasp and and pureness to this voice. And and as much as yes, I'm Christian, I'm not Rastafari, even to this yeah. day. But there was an energy and a spirit in what he was singing and, yeah. and how he was singing it. And I just fell in love with reggae music at that point. And I, and I started to explore more of my own culture and started to come across artists like Bob Marley, the great, obviously, and really dig into his music. But other artists at the time, like um, Morgan Heritage, mm-hmm. um, we started listening to Peter Tosh, Barry Salmon, who is like an all-time favorite. Yeah. So, so from hearing that, and then our church had a really rich musical um, culture as well and identity as a church. So, I mean, music was always a part of who I was really. And, truly. and my grandfather, a lot of people don't know this, I, my grandfather was actually... He actually has an um, a order of distinction from the Governor General of Jamaica for his contribution to music. He was a oh, musician. Wow. Yeah, so he played the organ um, for a lot of government events. He he received he was from Mandeville and received many citations from the Mayor Cesar Charlton at the time. <laughs> he was a he was a music teacher as well as yeah. played the organ at Ridgemont United Church. So music kind of was always always factored in, but it was. I think to me it was the exposure to reggae music that kind of flipped a switch yeah. in in my in my brain and emotions and it kind of went from there. I love that. I and it's so funny that you you talk about just that experience because um my husband and I were going on a trip. It was we were driving from Atlanta to Miami, and that's like a ten-hour drive. Mm-hmm. And so he just started playing all this like vibes and like he because I really just wanted to understand. And he explained to me that the music was a 
a stamp in time in the culture of what was going on. He explained like how there would be battles back and forth in the songs and the, mm-hmm. just a whole world that I didn't know existed within mm-hmm. music in general. And so just for you, like, what do you think has been the most influential part of one reggae music in general, but just the contributions that you've seen, what's been the most influential part of just the culture of that mute, that space? I think um, and when I talk to people, I get a chance to travel around the world and meet people from around the world. Um, the impact of reggae music is because the roots of the music um, is, is very spiritual. And, yeah. and, and a lot of reggae music um, comes out of a struggle, a real struggle, um, and even the spin-offs of reggae music. So, and of course, it didn't start with reggae music. Before reggae music, there was Rocksteady, there was, right? A lot of the songs are written from a place, from a very real place. So people can identify to the music but when they listen to the music the energy of the music is is very spiritual in its essence right yeah. so so when you listen to even bob marley's music bob marley was on a mission it was a it was about his mission his his revolution if you will so so that energy in that music it came from a time where people needed to 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 connect with something people needed you know for example a song like i and i liberate zimbabwe right mm-hmm. which which was the song that the freedom fighters played as as their motivation if you will like there's a serious energy in that music um is not just empty lyrics and nothing against people who love pop music and and empty lyrics. I mean, <laughs> it pays a lot of us in the industry, but but definitely as it relates to reggae music and then dancehall music really being the music of the streets, it's one thing you'll find about Jamaica and Jamaican people is that, ah, put it this way, even the colors of our flag and the meaning of the flag, right? Mm-hmm. The, flag, the flag means hardships there are, but the land is green and the sun shines, right? Out of even our hardships and our struggles as a people, Jamaican people always find joy and happiness in music. And so the music and how the music is written and how the music is delivered brings a joy to the people because even when they can't afford food and clothes and different things, they will sing and they will dance. And so that the music comes from that place. So it's a very real and very genuine expression. Mm. I love that. I think that music, like you said, the the spiritual nature of it makes it very powerful. And I'm curious, where do you think that that spirituality comes from? Well, if you look at like the influence of reggae music is very heavy, heavily Rastafarian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and for those who might watch this, whether you believe that um, you believe in what what if you believe Rastafarianism or you are a Christian or right. or you're a Muslim, no matter what you are, the essence of what Rastafari teaches is love for humanity and love for each other and equal rights and justice. That's a very transferable, that's a very transferable yeah. essence and liberty. You understand? So even for, 
for us Christians, the message of Rastafari is relevant. So when you listen to um, a, a song that is Rastafarian in its nature, a lot of the times you can identify with even if you're not Rastafarian because because the essence and liberty of it is 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 a positive message, is a, a message of upliftment and and of course certain types of the music and dancehall has gone completely away yeah. from that in, in, in its essence. But again, there's a place for that because that is music that people use to release stress and release um, other things that they're feeling and dealing with. So them go to the dance hall and dance and express right. themselves that way. So it, there's a place for that as well. But when you talk about the, the, the roots of reg, reggae music and the culture of reggae music and where reggae music is, is coming from and where it's going, that is really what keeps the, the lasting impact, in my opinion. I mean, everybody might feel different about it, but but it, it is that that essence i think that is that is what drives the music mm. and drives the expression of the music mm. so let's talk about your career now mm-hmm. what was your first show like somebody asked me this question the other day and i can't remember my first ever show so i guess it wasn't that memorable uh, hey, no, probably not. <laughs> it, probably, it was probably horrible. But I deferred to my first ever show with Shaggy. Okay. Um, Shaggy was my first ever real touring gig. So shout out to Shaggy and Paul Rossi Lee, our tour manager, who took a chance on me when I was a relative relatively unknown mm-hmm. um, engineer, probably could have gone a different direction, but they took a chance on me. Um, my first ever show with Shaggy was in Guam. I did an audition before in Toronto at the Reggae Festival, but my first real show was in Guam. And honestly, they had they had enough PA for a thousand people and they were expecting 10,000. So we knew it was going to be a problem from the time we walked in the venue. Because <laughs> just, Guam just doesn't have a lot of gear. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's such a remote place. Um, and without getting too technical, like we were having issues from the time we showed up for soundcheck, having issues. Anyway, when Shaggy went out on stage to start the performance, the, um, the horn in the monitor speakers was blown. The, the fuse in the amplifier blew. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it happened during the opening acts. So basically the horn carries the high end, which is the definition in your voice. So it sounded like he was speaking oh. with, a, with a blanket, essentially. Gotcha. So he mm-hmm. couldn't hear any def- definition. And he came off the stage. The band was on stage playing. And he came off the stage. I was side stage because I do monitors for Shaggy, which means I mix what they're hearing on stage is mm-hmm. my responsibility. He came off the stage and pretty much yelled at me for a good three minutes. It's It felt like an eternity. Like oh the band is, is on stage playing still enough and he's standing right beside me, like tearing me at a strip, <laughs> right? Oh and I, I we got through the show. I kind of worked quick to solve the problem, got some wedges swapped around and stuff. And, and then basically got off the stage and was like, yo, I guess I'm fired. So I went backstage and Dean, Dean Pond, who is uh, like my big brother, he mixes 
host for Shaggy. He's the other audio engineer, and he was a production manager at the time. Came backstage and I was like, Dean, man, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was like, I was legit. Like, I was like, right, yo, in your old walking papers. Yeah, I was like, yo, fire myself before anybody fire me up. <laughs> anyway, but Dean gave me a pep talk. He's like, no, man, he we know it's not. He knows it's not your fault. Don't worry. And then Shaggy came to me after his words and said, was like, yo, don't worry about it. These things happen. Just make sure you have a good show tomorrow. The next night we were in Philippines in Manila and nailed it. And the rest is history. Mm. Wow. So what's been your most fun show that you've done? Oh, man, that's a hard one. Um, I think one of the memorable shows, because a lot of the times when we're doing shows, we're working. Um, People see people say, oh, it's so glamorous. You get to tour, you get to travel all over the world. No, it's tedious. It's work. But my most memorable show was recently we went to um, Riyadh. Well, we stayed in Riyadh, but the show was in Diria in Saudi Arabia. And so we were one of the first touring acts to play in Saudi Arabia because they're now opening up the country and and a lot of things are changing there. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for those who don't know much about Saudi Arabia, like it's not a place where men and women freely mingle. Right. Right. Women have to be covered head to toe for the most part most women don't don't only show their eyes um but inside this concert was like it was everybody was intermingling like there was no separation of men and women it was like everybody was in one place women didn't have to cover up like they they could be free in that place and um shaggy sang strength of a woman which is yeah one of my favorite Shaggy songs all time. Um, in fact, for one of my mom's birthdays, I I had put "Strength of a Woman" in a plaque, like on a plaque for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he and he opened the song. I, it's on. It's actually I think on my IGTV. Um, he opened the song by saying, "This one goes out to all my strong, independent women." And let me tell you something. You see, when that forty thousand people start to scream. Mm. When he's when he said that to be a part of history that way and and seeing things change right before your eyes is is something I, I, I don't think I'll ever forget. And and it was definitely a memorable experience. I mean, we have a lot of fun shows mm-hmm. where where things go well and but but I think at this stage of my life it's it's about those moments of, yeah. of that you just you just can never forget. I think that makes me think too about like just being impactful with the work that you're doing. And I think like a moment like that will really impact you in terms of one confirming and just giving you affirmation that you're doing the right thing in your life. Because if you had listened to your parents, you would have been in somebody's courtroom (laughs) doing something. Working eight hours a week. (laughs) Exactly. And happy and just, you know, so I'm curious, like in in all of the things that you've done, because you started with a very impressive list of people that you've worked with, and I'm sure it goes on. How do you keep yourself grounded in and just not get caught up with the hype. Like, how do you keep yourself like, you know, just doing it for the love? Yeah. I mean, I have never really been one to be starstruck. And I think because because I started with my uncle at a really young age, um, I worked at Luther Vandross when I was 16. Oh, wow. Um, worked 
I mean, some of my early shows were people like Kirk Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirk Franklin used to do this thing called the Hopeville Tour. So he came mm-hmm. to Jamaica. It was Kirk Franklin, Donnie McClurkin, and Crystal Lewis. That was the early Hopeville Tour. And after they did the song Lean On Me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Lean On Me was such a massive international hit. Yeah. Uh, at the time, at the time, you know, Jamaican people call people like Brogad. Like Kirk Franklin was Brogad at the time. Because that song was such an international <laughs> hit. It's like, yo. And I remember, I remember um, we did two shows. We did one in Kingston and one in Montego Bay. And mm-hmm. at the time, Duali Rhythm just came out. And 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 Duali was blowing up. And it had yeah. that clap pattern. Yeah. And so when they were in, when they were in Montego Bay, the musicians tried to play this like Duali pattern and couldn't quite catch the clap pattern. Mm-hmm. And Sean Martin, who was the music director at the time, he had a MPC drum machine beside him and called me on stage because we were discussing it prior to, and he's like, play the clap pattern. That was at like 17 years old, like wow. he, he, on, on stage with Kirk Franklin playing a drum machine. It was like, this is really my life. You're kind of crazy. Wow. Um, so I think from then, I just never really, I was never really the type to be starstruck, to be honest. So I think that kind of, that kind of help. And the truth is, once you, I think a lot of people who get starstruck, they're fans, right? And they don't know, they don't get an opportunity to know and meet these people in person. Mm -hmm. When you get to know and meet them, they're real people. They're like, they're normal people. So once you get to that level of being sort of in that inner circle, you realize that, you know, people are like me and Shaggy sit down and eat breakfast and dinner all the time. Like when we're on tour, we eat breakfast together. Mm. Um, I get up early because my body just trained that way. I have two young kids. So my kids wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. So even if I'm in Europe, like when it reach a certain time, my body does say, hey, brother, time time to get up. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I've never. There was one time I got starstruck recently, though. I, in 2018, at Shaggy and Friends, um, Sting came down to okay. be a part of the show. And that was that's, crazy. That's really surprising. Like, who starstruck you? <laughs> listen, Sting, yo, Sting, Sting has the second most played song in the history of radio. Right, wow. which is every breath you take, and a lot of people don't know that every breath you I take. Didn't know that. Every breath you take was actually written in Jamaica. He wrote it in Jamaica, Golden Eye at Ian Fleming's desk. He wrote that song. So, I mean, there was so much build up leading up to Shaggy and Friends, but the day mm-hmm. of the show, the day of the show, he came on the stage for sound check. And he came over to have a discussion with me about his monitor mix. And I kind of zoned out for a little bit. I was like, it was like like an outer body experience. It was like watching myself talk to Sting. I'm like, this is like, it's one thing to, to, to talk to like a reggae superstar, Mm -hmm. but then to talk to like a truly global music icon, like, and you're having a discussion, like we're working together. Yeah. This is not like, and then he's like, yo, we should take a picture. I was like, <laughs> what? What? What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of surreal. It was that what that was that, that was an experience. So, so yeah, that that was kind of like but to be honest, the way I, I a lot of so apart from that, 
mm-hmm. how I stay grounded is that I have never really felt like I belong where I'm at, meaning mm. I'm, I'm grateful to be there and I work yeah. really hard to be there and I work really hard to stay there. So I think like I, it's, it still legit blows me away every time I'm sitting in an airport and I and I'm like, somebody's paying for me to go where? Yeah. Like what? Like why? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm I'm just so grateful to to get to do what I do and get and I and I'm I've obvi- I obviously realized that not a lot of people get to do what they love. You yeah. know, a lot of people work jobs that they don't like, but they have to do it because you, you you have a family to take care of, you have bills to pay, yeah. and and so the fact that I get to do what I love and what I'm passionate about and pay my bills with it, I'm I'm just so That's, grateful. You're living that, your best life. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I'm I'm just so grateful. Like, there's no hype for me. It's just as long as I get to do it, I'm gonna work so hard to be able to continue to do it. That it's that that keeps me grounded. I think. So, can you talk about that a little bit? How do you maintain your skill set? Like, how do you stay ahead of what's happening in your industry? Um, I mean, constantly learning. I I I'm always trying to learn something new. Um. I have really great support. Like we have a lot of great um, companies, manufacturers and distributors that support my career. Um, shout out to Gear Audio, who is the um, Canadian distributor for digital consoles, which is a console I use. Um, they also distribute DPA microphones. I'm a member of the DPA Masters Club because of them. Yeah. Um, they distribute Meyer Sound products. So they sort of are always sending me things to try to use the microphone I'm talking through is a DPA microphone. They sent that to me just out of the blue. They're like, yo, we see that you're doing live stuff. You need this microphone <laughs> and this inter- interface to plug it into your computer. Yeah, like, that's oh, dope. That's really that's dope, cool. though. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Adamson, Adamson Systems, um, one of my favorite PA systems to use. And Jeremiah Carney, who's the head of education there, is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just I'm I'm always of the opinion that I can learn from anybody, even people who are less experienced, um, maybe not at the level, quote unquote, level I'm at, which is like maybe they don't tour with a big artist. But you never know when you're going to learn something because because you might somebody might say something and you go, geez, I never thought of that. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I'm always asking questions, always learning um, always trying to learn. And, and then there's networking, you know, like I go to, I go to NAM every year, which is a trade show for music professionals. And NAM two years ago added a pro audio sort of element to it. And I try to go every year. I, I subscribe to podcasts like mix you and, and just different people. Like, and, and we have a group of engineers called audio maniacs. Um, we're peers, but I learned so much from, from my guys like um, Veer, Danny Ram, Dean Pond, um, Gregory Morris, all top-notch engineers. Veer is um, engineers for Stephen Marley, and he's and the Marley brothers. Dean is my cohort with Shaggy, and then Greg Morris. Um, Greg has Greg doesn't like when I talk about his multiple Grammy awards, um, <laughs> he, but when he does listen to this, he has multiple Grammy awards, and he <laughs> and he mixes for um, Protege Live. So I mean, Greg, oh, wow. I learned so much from these guys. Like, um, yeah, they're peers and yeah, we work together, but like, yeah, I'm just always learning. I'm blessed to have a, a, a great support system and great network of people around me. That's really dope. 
That's really dope. I I think that it's a it really is a blessing to be surrounded by and constantly learning from the best people in your industry or your circle. Yeah, so that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what? Oh, go ahead. So, yeah, no, I was gonna say I also see them as what I call truth tellers. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like to use that term because. Not a lot of people, I, I find that people take things too personally a lot of the time. So, so they don't allow people to tell them the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but Veer, Veer and Dean, especially, um, like I will send them mixes. So when I was prepping for my current, um, education course that I just launched, um, I sent a mix to Veer and he ripped it for like an hour. He's mm-hmm. like, this is horrible. <laughs> I was like, Okay, but but that's the kind of friendship we have, right? Yeah. Because it makes us, it makes each other stronger and better. Um, and he said to me, "Yeah, man, like if we're going to put stuff out and teach masterclasses and put stuff out and into the world, it has to be right." Yeah, you know what I mean, so I consider them, I consider Vera and Dean my truth tellers. I know they'll always tell me the truth, um, especially specifically when it deals with music and i have truth tellers in other areas my best friend nevin anderson is kind of like my spiritual and and home life truth teller like you'll always call me when i'm on the road and check up and make sure i'm keeping myself straight and you know what i mean just like he's my he's like my advisor when it comes to those things but i think those those key things are important in because it doesn't make sense you're successful in your career and not successful in your home life like that 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 don't really make sense to me anyway like everybody is different and things happen like i've me i've not always been great at 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 home life and and i've made my mistakes and i've messed up countless times but i'm just really blessed i'm really blessed to have a great support system and people around me that one will encourage me when i need it but will also check me when i need to get checked you know nevin will call me and be like yeah nevin will call me and be like yo i saw your instagram story last night you need for straighten up like (laughs) bro right you know what i mean so so yeah both on the career side and on the personal side i think it's incredibly important Mm. so then this is my last question in this section how did you maintain your personal life you know being on tour as often as you have been in your life it's hard um and i and i wasn't always great at it like i said without being too I mean, I don't, you know, without being, I, I can be transparent. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, man, I messed up so many times, but again, I just have, I have a great wife who, who has stuck with me over the years and she has mm-hmm. held on the home for it. Um, and I mean, it's not even just things with her. It's, it's even with my kids. Sometimes I'd come off of the road and feel so disconnected from my kids. Like, yeah our relationship would be strained and, but she would always just hold it together. And, and, and the key was every single time I got home, I just kept trying, you know, I just kept even like now, now we're, we're in a really, really good place and, and God's been good to us. Um, but I just never stopped trying. I just never, um, even sometimes when you take a break from trying, you kind of <laughs> circle back. You kind of circle back to trying and just, just all because I've always just wanted to be, especially to be a good dad was was always very important to me. Yeah, and yeah, I just you know I a lot of time and I'll I'll be the first to say this. One of my favorite hymns, um, growing up and even now is is great is Thy faithfulness. Um, I love that song. And, 
And it's just, it just really, I'm a real true picture of, of what, if you want to understand what God's grace looks like and means, man, take a look at my life. Um, like I done messed up so many times, but, but his grace and, and that's really all it's attributed to. Like everything I have in life is really just God's favor. And, and as a result of his grace. And so that's really what it is. Like there, there ain't no secret. There's really yeah. no, nothing, nothing I can do. There ain't nothing. Um, I ain't special. It's just really God's grace and favor and his mercy. Cause I'm, and I, I'm looking at your face while you're saying all this and I can just yeah. feel the, the sincerity and the truth behind every word. Yeah. I should have been crushed up, thrown away a long time ago. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? But, but he just sees fit to keep, to, to keep blessing me and to keep like, let me experience these things. And mm-hmm. I, like I say, I'm just grateful. I'm just yeah. grateful. That's awesome. And shout out to your wife for holding it down. Cause I, I do think that that partnership is, is the most valuable thing that we as married people have. Mm-hmm. And so when you have somebody who's willing to constantly work with you and just be there, no matter what, that that's a blessing that nobody can ever repay for. Yeah. Yeah. And I done, man, I messed up so many times, like, you know, I, I'm just, yeah, I I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Like when, when you start to talk about like just God's grace, like, man, it, I get passionate about that stuff because that's the stuff that you can't work to earn. Um, and, and when you really and truly experience grace, you're blown away by it because you just understand that there is nothing that you can do, could do, or have ever done to deserve deserve this kind of grace. God, I people people probably look at me and say, man, he he he's done for. (laughs) Even right now, like in the past, people probably say, yeah, he's done for. And then they see me still around, still standing. They probably wonder, how is that possible? Man, it's just just God's goodness, just his grace. Mm. Amen. Go ahead. Shout it on the mountain. <laughs> Say great as that thing. So last question for you. What do you believe is your purpose? Um so there's there's three things I, I try to live by or or try to filter every decision through. Um I believe that purpose is is why you were put here. Mm-hmm. Um, impact is what you do while you're here and legacy is the only thing you can leave here. Wow. So, so I try to filter every decision through those things. How can you repeat that? So purpose is why you were put here. Mm-hmm. Impact is what you do while you're here. And legacy is the only thing you can leave here. Wow. Right. So, so everything I do, I try to, look at those three things. How does it align with what I think my purpose is? Um, how is it going to impact the world and the people around me? And how is it going to affect my legacy? Mm. Um, and, 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 and that's really, I, I tell people all the time, I stopped pushing faders for money a long time ago. Cause I just really, I'm not at a place where I need to do that. Like I, I, I mean, I take that back because of COVID-19, that guy. Right. Like I need to go push some faders right now. If we don't start pushing faders soon, I don't know how we're going to pay bills. But, but um, you know, again, because of God's favor and, and just I'm at a stage of my career where, where 
you know, prior to lockdown, I, I just wasn't in a place where I really had to worry about if the bills are going to get paid. Yeah. Um, so, so it's really all about impact. Um, I remember being on the phone with Veer and we were talking about like, we, we get the opportunity to run the production for um, Kaya Fest, which is, which is a festival that Stephen Marley owns. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were preparing for Kaya Fest, you know, we were talking and Vera was like, man, we're doing this for legacy. Like, that's why we're doing this. And and I remember that night, like, I remember that night when when the set, the Marley Brothers set rolled off and Ziggy started. There's a natural mystic flowing through the air. And just the roar of the crowd, I was like, this is why we do this. We do this for legacy. Like this moment is going to be etched in the minds of people forever. And so I don't know if I have my purpose completely figured out. Um, I know a part of my purpose is to serve the kingdom. I I, I still serve my church. Um, my pastor leans on me greatly for a lot of things, which I'm extremely humbled by. Yeah. And, and, I, and I get great fulfillment from being a part of what we do at Faith Sanctuary. Um, that's a big part. Um, but I also bring that same level of intensity to what I do outside of that in my career. And I know that's that plays into what my purpose is. I, I don't know if I have it 100 percent figured out to a T, like I could say yeah. this is my purpose on the planet. But I feel like as long as everything I'm doing has impact and, and will leave a legacy, then it will ultimately be part of my de- defined purpose that maybe one day I'll know exactly what it is. But until yeah. then, I just everything I do, I just try to have impact and and build a legacy, something my kids can be proud of one day and say, you know, my dad did this. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're proud now because you've definitely built up something worth aspiring to. So I got to tell you something funny, right? Yeah. So, um. You know, like I work for Shaggy and Stephen Marley and all these people. I think right. I'm pretty cool, right? You are pretty cool. <laughs> my kids, my kids have no clue, right? Because my my daughter is five and three. Okay, mm-hmm. so so recently, I don't know. Some people may have seen it. Shaggy actually played Sebastian on The Little Mermaid live. So they oh, they, they yes, did like yes, live yes. taping, and and my daughter was like you work for Sebastian? Like, it was like the coolest thing ever. So she went to school and That's told everybody so that funny. my dad works for Sebastian. So That's there you go. so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. And honestly, kids are the measure by which we should hold. Are we being truly successful in life? Yeah. Because the way that they look at the world is just so pure and innocent. Yeah, yeah. she oh she God. she didn't think daddy was cool until he he... She found out he works works for Sebastian. Sebastian. (laughs) Shout out Sebastian. I know. Thank you so, so much, Jason. This has been so great. And before you go, I got to ask one question. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Drake's affinity to Jamaican and Caribbean culture? I mean, it's not just Drake. I know. It's it's, it's a Canadian thing. Like, what is it? It's not even just a Canadian thing. Like, if if you listen to... Me and Shaggy have this conversation all the time. So much of the world's music is um, is is influenced by reggae and dancehall. Yeah. Um, so like reggae and dancehall has been sampled over and over. It, it's just that mo- a lot of people don't give the credit. So at least mm. somewhat Drake, you know, he, he shouts out Jamaica and Popcorn yeah. and all these people. But a lot of people sample it and don't give the credit. 
Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people sample dancehall music. This whole Afrobeat thing now is is really dancehall music. Like a yeah. lot of the Afrobeat, um, Afrobeat stuff you're hearing is heavily dancehall influenced. Burner Boy and a lot of these other artists. And not to take anything away from them as artists, it's just yeah. it's just how it is. Like it's it's always it's always incredible to see. Um, how much impact our small country has had yeah. on the entire world. So it's like, it's not just Drake, but specifically as it relates to the reason why, um, especially in Canada, mm-hmm. is we have a really vibrant Jamaican community in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and Toronto is actually, in my opinion, the most diverse city on the planet. Like every culture is represented here. Um and authentically represented, not just like oh, we have a Vietnamese restaurant. Like it's really a Vietnamese man in the restaurant cooking. Yeah. Like every culture is authentically represented in Toronto. But you see, Jamaican people, Jamaican people, bossy, right? That what we call bossy. We just loud and we turn up. Like when 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 you see in Bolt won his third gold medal, you would have think say you were in Jamaica. If right, you were in Toronto. Right, 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 right. So, so I and think my listeners, bossy means like you're a show off, like you're very yeah, boisterous. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. We're proud. And 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 that's how it just really is a part of who we are as a people. So I think especially if you spend time in Toronto, you understand how much impact Jamaican culture has on the culture of the city. Mm-hmm. So so I think artists from Toronto Lean on that. It's not just Drake. It's Tory Lanez, Weekend, yeah. Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber sample like Duali rhythm. Shout out to Lenky Marsden, producer Duali. Like, is is that thing? Like, is is not just him? But yeah, like if you spend time in 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 Toronto, any at all, Jamaican influence in Toronto is very evident. And it's not just the music. We have we have prominent members of our society that have made significant contributions in any, every area medicine um we have lawyers we have judges we have we have music people every area of life in in the city of Toronto I can speak for my city cuz I live here yeah. has been touched by a Jamaican has been impacted and affected by a Jamaican so is is like it can't be it can't be denied for a, for a small country <laughs> with thing turn up yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, can you please tell the people where they can find you? Yeah. So if they go to my website, jasonreynoldsproaudio.com, um, there's a couple of things I want people to know. If, you, if you're an audio professional, music professional, or you know somebody that is aspiring to be, um, I just launched a learning and mentorship um, platform on Patreon. So if you if you go to jasonreynoldsproaudio.com, there's two options to sign up. You can opt in with your email if all you want to do is have access to free training. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Patreon if you want to subscribe for greater, more in-depth training. Um, I do a I do a live um, session on YouTube live every Wednesday to Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern called Learn from the Pros with a, with a different industry professional every day. We have some really incredible guests. Um, and, and that's on my YouTube page, which you can also find at the website. There's a link there. And then finally, I'm on Instagram at engineer underscore reds, which is R-D-R-E-D-Z. So at engineer underscore reds with a Z. Um, that's my Instagram, which is I'm fairly active on Instagram, much to the behest of people who 
live with me because I'm always on it. But yeah, like the learning and mentorship is fantastic. I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited about it. It's recently launched. So yeah, we want to give people a chance to connect with industry professionals and learn from the best. Well, keep doing your purpose, brother. Y'all heard it from Red himself. And y'all make sure you follow him and just get involved. This man is out here changing lives with this music. So y'all subscribe and listen. And we thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation in bloom. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Tell me.